We are so grateful you are a part of the Be The Bridge community and continue to listen to the Be The Bridge podcast. Whether you have been with us since the beginning or have recently started listening, we value you. Your feedback and input is important to us, so we want to hear from you. We have a quick listener survey linked in the show notes and would appreciate you taking a few minutes to fill it out. One survey participant will win a Be The Bridge swag bag of Be The Bridge merch. Thank you for being a part of these conversations and this community. We look forward to learning more about you. You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Be the Bridge community. I am so excited to have another friend uh, with us on the podcast today. Um, And I know some of you may have heard of him. Um, Some of you, this may be the first time that you're going to hear about him, but it won't be the last time. So I'm so excited to introduce our community to Pastor Raymond Chang. He is the president of the um, Asian American Christian Collective collaborative and the executive director of the 10 by 10 collaboration. This is an initiative of Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Seminary. Um, He is an active preacher, writer. He speaks throughout the country pertaining to Christianity and culture and race and faith. Um, He has lived all around the world. Listen to the places he's lived. Um, Korea, Guatemala, Panama, Spain, China. And um, I've, I've been to three of those. Well, I've been to two, but I'm about to go to Spain also. So we'll have to talk about that. (laughs) He's traveled to nearly 50 countries. I want to be like him when I grow up and is currently pursuing his PhD in higher education focused on the cross section between spirituality and racial climates. And he currently lives in the Chicago land area with his wife, Jessica, and his new baby daughter. Yeah. So congratulations on the birth of your daughter. Um, What has that been like? This is your first child, right? Our first child. We've been married for a while. God Uh blessed us. Uh, It's been awesome. Life is so (laughs) precious and uh, I mean, like every little thing that she does feels like a, a gift or a miracle uh, oh. from God. And so just been loving every moment uh, that we sleep and mostly don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know I've been following you on Instagram and I was um, just leading up to everything. I saw um, just some of the things that, um, that, you know, as you guys were preparing, I had a chance um, to meet um, you in person here in Atlanta when we, you came down um, to do the event, um, the Stop Asian Hate event here in Atlanta with the atrocities that um, happened a couple years ago at the uh, massage parlors here. Um, 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 AAPI did a, um, um, excuse me, Asian American Christian Collaborative did an organization. I think you partnered with some of the local organization. I met your wife then. Yes, and she, that's and right. She wasn't pregnant at that time. <laughs> no, she was not. I'm so a and, lot and transpired. Me, yeah. <laughs> and let me just say how meaningful it was, uh, Latasha, that you were there, that you showed up in solidarity, that you were being a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to you know, between communities, that that you you know, like it was it was really yeah. remarkable yeah. to see how. The event in Atlanta rippled throughout the entire country that yeah. you know, we were able to host 14 simultaneous rallies at the same time on the same day with the same message. Yeah. Uh, but it made it especially special that you were there. Yeah. And we were able to continue that conversation a little bit uh, more. Um, we hosted a Be The Bridge Live event in the fall around November. And we had some uh, a panel from um, some of the um, Asian American community here in the um Atlanta area to kind of even they spoke to it a, li- a little more and we've done work mm. with um, Peter Lim. I know you know he was there that yeah, day. Yeah, we I love Peter. <laughs> yeah, Peter. Just texted with him yesterday or two days ago. Yeah, Peter, we love Peter. I do Peter from when before I even moved to Texas. I met him through some work we were doing with the community together, and we've just re- remained connected. And we were meeting um, um, out of the same um, co-working spot, and so his his church and everything. So yeah. Yeah, so some some good stuff happening here in the uh, Atlanta, and it was an honor um, to stand in solidarity with um, uh, with the community. Um, you know, to to you know put our voices together um, for justice and, and righteousness um, to to be seen and to be heard and felt by 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 everyone. So um, it was an honor to to be there with you. So. I'm so glad. I mean, I, I got a chance to meet you. I didn't know, realize you lived in the Chicago area until just now. I was just there. And um, yes, I was just there. I spoke at a school, uh, Timothy Christian School or something. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I spoke there. And, um, it, it, you know, so yes, yeah, so I was just there. And then I was like, I know so many people here. I got to go back. So that means I have to come back to that area and, and, and connect. So besides like the big thing, the birth of your daughter, um, uh, so exciting. Um, what is her name? What is her name? Uh, her name is Sophia. Her okay. name is Wisdom. And so okay. uh, we we're praying that God's wisdom would just be both bestowed upon her I and everything that she it. does. I love it. I love it. We need wisdom these days. And, you know, so everything is just falling apart. And I'm I like, know. what we need are people who have wisdom and discernment. See, and this is going to even put more fire under you because now that you've had a daughter, like fatherhood is going to impact you even more because now you're like, oh, y'all better get this right because my. <laughs> I know there's like so many, like, I'm pretty sure concerns and just prayers that you have for your daughter, hopes and all the things. Um, how do you think fatherhood will impact the work that you're already doing? 
Exactly what you just said. I yeah. think it's lit a new, or it, it's intensified the fire. Like you know, uh-huh. so with with AACC, we haven't we you know we're we're you know we've been able to connect with with some people, and you know there have been many generous people, you know, and we're trying to figure out how to how to uh, really kind of build capacity so that we can pass down the organization to the next generation. Mm. And you know, a, a little while ago, like a few months ago, we got a note that said, "Hey, a part of this gift." It's from my 14-year-old kid, mm. and uh, basically, uh, when I connected with um, when we connected with uh, with 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 his mother, she talked about all the discrimination that he had already experienced—the bullying, mm. you know, the racial, um, you know, the the mm. you know, the racial slurs. I mean, he was even uh, mm. chased down the street, you know, for being mm. uh, Asian, and then he was spat on once for being Asian. And this mm. fourteen-year-old kid, oh and he basically gosh. said, "Well, we've been looking for." Uh, he was like, "I felt like you were saying the things that I was saying, you know, that I I needed other people to say, but only me and my mom and my family were the ones that were saying it, and I felt like you were mm. saying it to the whole country." And so he was looking for an organization that was Asian American Christian, and decided like he mm. wanted to give. But I, when I, when we talked, mm. I was just like, man, we we're too late already. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so we're too late with you know for him. And I'm like, I'm hoping that we're not too late for my daughter and mm. whoever else is in those generations that come after. Right, right. And it's like we. It's like we have to educate our kids and not talking about some of these things that are happening. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm thinking about this 14 year old. It just it grips my heart. But I was um, recently I seen a video. Um, it was an older video and it was a little uh, a little girl. Um, she was riding her bike. There were some kids, a group of black kids riding a bike through the neighbor neighborhood. And they were things they were throwing things at them, spitting on them. And just, you know, saying racial slurs to them. And, you know, this was in um, like the early 1960s when I I saw this. uh, The video was from 1960. So to hear you talking about, you know, this young 14 year old who's having to endure this in 2023, that should break and grip all of our hearts. You know, it may not be happening in your neighborhood, but it shouldn't be happening in any neighborhoods. And so one of the things you... um, you you had said recently, you said we have an entire generation of active churchgoers who have somehow never been discipled out of racism and sexism. And I mean, mm-hmm. we see it. And I think that's the thing that is hard to swallow, Ray, is like when I see things in there and, and, and when someone who is far from Christ, if they say something or do something, it's like, OK, I can understand why they have this mindset. But when I hear pastors or people who um, claim to know Jesus or, you know, are, you know, active in their church, say things that are so counter the message of Jesus, the gospel, um, that are, that is so sexist. I'm like, what gospel, what Jesus are you following? Um, mm-hmm. th- this is so true. How is this possible? How is this possible? And we know there is, there has to be like a complete rediscipling of of of. I, and I and I want to say that I, I don't want to just say white white Christians because pe- you know some churches are, are racially integrated and some of this same poison are. Um, ideology is we we can see it in some of our own communities too. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I and I I think that's the challenge is like most people don't see how the discipleship that we've that many of us have inherited is actually mm-hmm. a discipleship into deformation instead of a formation into mm-hmm. Christ, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, our definition of discipleship and our understanding of discipleship is more towards deformation instead of mm. Christocentric formation. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, I, and what to your point about you know a lot of these multi-ethnic churches or even ethnic churches that kind of uh, have been uh, swayed or influenced by um, by a by a very racialized kind of theological. Uh, uh, perspective or or even movement um, they perpetuate the things whether they're in the room or not like, like perfect example I was in a room um, and it was uh, a lot of several white uh, several evangelicals there were mm-hmm. there were there, there were no uh, no one who was racialized white there it was all it was almost everyone who was uh, a person of color you know black Asian Latino in the conversation, even though there were no quote unquote white people there, all of the same patterns that you would expect within spaces that are committed to a kind of a white cultural framework mm-hmm. or commitment emerged mm-hmm. in that space without mm-hmm. white because yeah. it's been internalized within so many of us. Yeah. And so, you know, even the church there, I just walked with a church that ended up in um, trying to help them years ago uh, uh, that, that ended up in a, in, you know, in the Washington post uh, because it went from being a diverse community to pretty much an all white community, even though they had a, a pastor who was, uh, who was Asian American. And so mm-hmm. his, his ideological commitments led them to basically double down on the things that have consistently divided the church in the U.S. Uh, were you know, was the driving force of uh, of segregation and the mm-hmm. destruction of all the work after Reconstruction and many of the challenges that we see today. Yeah. So yeah, because we can go in these environments and we um, kind of like what you would say cultural assimilation happens. Like there's this, mm-hmm. um, a, a process, and you see it um, even when um, no white people are around. You know, I'm, I'm dealing mm-hmm. with something currently now that I'm like, who, who said this? Who wrote this? And I'm like, wow, okay, you know. And it, it, it's, it's, it's not surprising, but it is surprising sometimes, you know, because many of us, I could, I can say, um, this journey, and a lot of people that I meet, especially people of color that have grown up um, in Egypt, evangelical spaces. Um, this is a process that a lot of people of color are going through. And, you know, and um, there's a lot of what people call deconstructing, you know, trying mm-hmm. to see like, okay, what is gospel? What is um, cultural? What is, you know, like trying to really decipher all of this. And, um, you know, my prayer is just that, you know, we don't take Jesus out of it in the midst of it, you know, um, because I see that happening too. Um, uh, one of the things you, you are, um, um, the leader of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. And so we just, we mentioned about, um, some of the events that you guys hosted across the country. And I was so glad when your organization started, um, I was so glad um, to see this because it's so needed. It is so needed um, from a Christian perspective. Um, 
And, um, you know, even uh, one of my friends, Vivian Mabani, she does a lot of work within, um, within crew, um, for the Asian American community and just even hearing some of the things, you know, some of the passions and heart that she has and, um, her and, um, um, Kathy Kong, like it's just, I, I just having that been in that space and shared that space of solidarity. I was just so glad to see um, your organization um, really be birthed out of that. Tell those who are listening a little bit about um, 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 Asian American Christian Collaborative and what what you and what you do. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, and you were there basically from the beginning. I don't know if <laughs> yeah. you remember this, but one of our uh, one of the first kind of big projects uh, we did outside of our statement was uh, co-host a uh, series on reconciliation yes. with ACC and Be the Bridge. You know, yeah. um, kind of uh, put together a three-part series, um, and and it's it's I think it's still available on our website at least, uh-huh. um, but or on our we're on our YouTube channel. But yeah, so we emerged because of uh, very much like. The, the lack of uh, kind of an institutional voice uh, when it mm. come, came to the anti-Asian right racism that we saw emerging, uh, mostly around the politicized rhetoric around, um, you know, China virus and Kung flu, where, mm-hmm. you know, the, the most powerful man in the country was, you know, flippantly saying it and intentionally saying it, as you saw, you know, in mm-hmm. one of his notebooks where he cut, you know, he basically... Um, took out like COVID-19 yeah. or coronavirus yeah. and he wrote China flu or Kung flu or China virus uh, mm-hmm. in its stead. Um, and how that started emerging in the pulpits and the pews. Yeah. And so we were concerned that, you know, the people that we were in fellowship with were, were going to ignite the, the latent anti-Asian kind of sentiments that you know, kind of have existed throughout the history of the U S all throughout the country. And it would not be that, that the church wouldn't be exempt from that. And so we wrote the yeah. statement and it spread wide. We were very yeah. grateful for how far and wide it spread um, uh, to the point where we were like, okay, this might be the time uh, to kind of, you know, to, to organize and, 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 and develop uh, something more formal. Um, and then uh, a lot of the work that we did was to educate and to kind of declare the dignity and the worth of, uh, Asian American lives to kind of articulate the histories and the, the the racialized patterns and the experiences that many of our community members faced, and then of course at the same time one of the things that we saw was the continued killings of uh, of African Americans who were simply just existing, mm-hmm. um, and we felt like one of the things that we knew we had to do was to kind of. Bridge, uh, break the dividing wall uh, that kept our communities apart. You know, and if you look at the history of how our communities, the African American yeah. and the Asian communities, uh, were kind of pit against each other, yeah. you're like, oh my goodness, this is going to take a lot of intentional work. Which is why, again, we're grateful for um, for you stepping in and uh, and saying, hey, let's do this together because yeah. you know you literally are trying to be the bridge. Um, <laughs> And so we we did that, uh, and then uh, of course after George Floyd was killed, uh, we hosted a march in Chicago that went from mm-hmm. a historic Chinese church to historic Black church, a mile and a half apart. Yeah. That never interacted, uh, and um, and you know the uh, pastor of the Black church at the time, uh, he's still the pastor, Charlie Date. Um, yeah. He, you know, he basically he was in the midst of mourning his mother's loss. Was like, hey, we, you know, I believe in this, and so him and Watson Jones and Jonathan mm. Banks from uh, UOF and several other black pastors were like, we're we're in on this. Um, and it, we had about a thousand to two thousand people marching 
uh, all mm. Asian Americans. Because as I was marching with the African American community, especially with Black pastors, in other mm-hmm. uh, kind of marches uh, post George Floyd, they kept asking me, "Where are the Asian Americans?" And I'm like, "Well, Chicago's only five percent Asian American, so, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, you know, like I see them, but I get it." Let, let, and I said, "Maybe we can show you, and maybe you know, we can show you where the Christian Asian Americans are." And so yeah. that's what yeah. we did. And then, of course, you know, we kept doing the work, producing. We're trying to produce more content and uh, convene and a- events, but also to, um, you know, to to facilitate more discussions and dialogue. And so, you know, we hosted you know several panels between Black and Asians and Black and Latinos, and and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, and what and, so, and what I would love to hear because I'm thinking of this as you're saying. I was like, you know, we need to do more because I, I feel like this work of solidarity, um, this is why Be The Bridge created uh, what we call our BIPOC um, community, which is Black Indigenous People of Color. Um, and one reason is because we don't know each other's stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know what it's like to be, um, you know, a Korean American or a Chinese American or a Filipino American or Vietnamese um, American in um United States. And those are all different stories that we push into this one umbrella of Asian American. But those are all different ethnicities, people groups, Mm -hmm. history, totally different history, totally different language. Um, And so those stories are different. And so um, that's something that we need to understand. We don't understand the um, what it's like. And when you start talking about like South Asian, like those that are from India, you know, the things that they're, you know, um, they're dealing with and the caste system and how some of that has followed them into um, the workplace here in America or within the school system. And so that's why we've created that. And I, and I will, I want to see more solidarity work. I think it has to happen in order um, for us to really um, unite together um, to deal with some of the other larger issues at, at hand. Um, um, you know, when you start talking about the broader Asian American community, um, um, what are some of the issues within, uh, within the, um, the church that your community is dealing with, you know, cause I was, I think I was talking to one of my friends um, who was one of our early, uh, she's um, actually Taiwanese American. And she uh, was, we were just talking about like um, Christian culture and, and she was like, she got stuck cause she was like thinking about what is the, like not Western culture, not white Christian culture. She said, but what is the like Taiwanese identity within the Christian culture? You know, I can like, when we look at that, we can see that as it relates to um, uh, the uh, Latin community. Um, You know, we can see it within the indigenous community, but it's been a lot of times it's been called pagan and shunned aside, you know, but how, what do you see, like, as it relates to the Asian American community, that identity within the the church? So, yeah, great question. And I, and I want, I mean, and, and yes and amen to what you just said about solidarity. Yeah, I, I don't think that you can. I don't think that you can fully understand how um, heinous hmm. uh, white supremacy is until hmm. you see 
how it has affected the African-American community, how it's affected Mm. and manifests within the indigenous population, Mm. within the Asian-American population and the Latino population. And I think it's when we understand each other's stories that Mm -hmm. we understand that the tensions that emerge within our communities and uh, both uh, across race, racial lines and within our own races um, you know, like really do have a genesis, you know, back to the, the commitment to like exploit, extract, dehumanize and strip the mm-hmm. dignity from our people to exclude and, um, and to basically push out and call other and, um, mm-hmm. and push down. Um, and so I, 100%, I think you hit the nail on the head with like, we have to learn each other's stories. And I think for me, the most helpful thing was learning about the African-American experience and the history mm. of African-Americans uh, to understand the indigenous community uh, in the U.S. And, you know, uh, and then, of course, like, you know, uh, the, the, the variety of stories within uh, the different populations and, you know, uh, along with the, the Latino and the, um, and the Asian-American populations. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, are unique about you know Asian Americans is that you know we don't speak the same like you know like right. you know like with majority of the Spanish uh, or Latin Latino population or mm-hmm. Latinx population or Latina population depending yeah. on where you're coming from um, uh, the, 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 we don't have a common language mm-hmm. and there was uh, and and like a lot of other populations there was kind of uh, uh, those who are dominant and those who are oppressed within our mm. own communities. And so if right. you go to Asia, no one really identifies as Asian, mm. right? It, it's like every person within every country identifies as their own ethnicity right. or their own nationality. Uh, and they have very distinct cultural expressions, though there are some common themes that, you know, that exist, you know, that you know, that cross borders and mm-hmm. and the other piece is that you know we're we're much more of a transnational community um, you know because of the the waves of immigration and how so many of our family members are still you know in our kind of quote unquote native land or home mm-hmm. countries or countries uh, you know, of our ancestry mm-hmm. um, but within the U.S. there are you know like you can kind of break it down into at least three big buckets, maybe four, depend, you know, like I, I think, maybe, or even five, where you have East Asians, you have South Asians, then you have Southeast mm-hmm. Asians, then you have a large chunk of Middle Easterners and those from like the Russia and the mm-hmm. Russian type right. of uh, population. And they're all technically Asian because they're all on the yeah. continent of Asia. Like Israel is in Asia, right? And so yeah. how, how do you make sense of that when most, I, when, yeah. when there's different... <laughs> Questions, right? And a lot yeah. of the Middle Easterners, they process, they don't necessarily know where they fit. They know where they fit geographically and, right. uh, you know, across the continent, but culturally, there's such difference and in, in, in diversity there too. And some Middle Easterners identify as Asian is within the continent of Asia and some choose not to. And that shifts how we have the conversation. Wow. Um, but it's, uh, you know, to be Asian American is a racial category yeah. um, that is located and, uh, or, or that's connected to uh, our existence in the U S and, um, and, and it's one that was driven out of a need for uh, kind of political power because what many Asian Americans in the 60s realized was that you know the, the, they were all experiencing the same things whether they came from uh, Korea or Japan or China or you know Cambodia or Thailand or whatnot 
and yet they had no vo- their their voices were suppressed because they didn't have any political uh, mm-hmm. kind of entity to rally around and so that's where the Asian American category comes from but when it comes to our our populations I mean we're it's extreme I mean like even within China the the number of languages that are just spoken in China is is unbelievable mm-hmm. um, and, and so we don't really have like one specific uh, type of population which I think most people would um, uh, would recognize in the US uh, but what is interesting is how how much social, um, or not just social media, but media itself, namely through like the entertainment uh, uh, industry, has shaped even my own experience as a Korean American. Like nobody knew what a Korean was when I was growing up. They would always call me Chinese mm-hmm. or Japanese. Mm-hmm. And then because of the rise of K-pop and K-dramas and you know all things Korean, the first thing that you know people assume I am now is Korean because that's the thing that everyone knows. And so it's been fascinating for me to watch the the the, the tra- mm-hmm. transition over time. 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 If you've been enjoying and learning from the Be the Bridge podcast, we invite you to join us in this work. You can support and sustain our mission as a recurrent partner at bethebridge.com forward slash give. You can also help spread this word of bridge building by supporting and really sporting our apparel. So if you haven't gotten your Be The Bridge hat, sweatshirt, all of the things, let's take the message to the street. Visit our online store at shop.bethebridge.com and make sure we're spreading the word about all the work that Be The Bridge is doing and will do. At Be The Bridge, we're doing the work to empower people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. And this work is only possible because of the generosity of bridge builders like you. So thank you so much for those of you who are listening and sharing our podcast, sharing our posts, those of you who are giving to this work um, that's helping us create resources and material um, that will transform hearts. Um, So join us at bethebridge.com forward slash give and let's continue to build bridges together. Thank you so much. I have so many questions, right? Because I'm thinking about, um, you know, because I think I think that identity is really important. And um, I was just telling you before we came on, I uh, went to Korea uh, back in October, yeah. um, and it was like, um, it was just. It was surreal. You know, um, this is a trip that, you know, we had in mind since I was in college. My, um, um, one of my best friends is, um, she's Asian and black. I mean, she's Korean and black. And so she, um, her father is African American. Her mom is Korean and her mom speaks the language. She doesn't speak the language. She knows how to cook the food and all, and all of that. But, um, we, she had always wanted to go. And so and it was like in 2019, she was going through some tough things. And I was like, you still need to go to Korea. You need, you need to have something to look forward to. And, you know, I had always said, whenever she goes, I'm going, you know, but then, no way. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, when you, when you go, I'm going with you, you know? And so her mom had wanted 
have been trying to get back, you know. Um, but there, you know, of course, the we were supposed to go to next year, but the pandemic happened. So we ended up going in 2022. And we were actually, her, she, her mom has sisters there. And, you know, so we got to go to people's homes. It wasn't just like a touristy trip, but we really got to go like connect with the culture and people and um, have traditional um, Korean food, which is very different from what we have here and everything. But one of the things I noticed that I keep telling everybody, like, can you explain that? Um, but um, I noticed like, I was like, I do not see one old car. Like there's not a car. I was looking for, no, it was like one of those things like over here, we, we like, you know, when you see a, a Volkswagen, you say punch buddy, you don't punch back, you know, uh, I was over there looking, I said, okay, y'all see if you can find one like beat up car with the dent. Like see if you see a car that's beat up with a dent or either a car that's like older than 10 years. Never saw it. Interesting. I don't. Maybe something has shifted. Um, yeah, I'd be curious. Maybe the like. I I do wonder if Korea has gone to primarily like a leasing model of. I don't know. They vehicle. don't have hoopties. That's, they that's don't, interesting. They don't have hoopties in Korea, y'all. They don't have hoopties. And um, <laughs> and listen, and they're not litter bugs. Like, let me tell you, it, it's so clean over there. And um, I was talking to Peter about it, and Peter was like, "Yeah, his son." was carrying trash around in his head because we could never find a trash can to put it in. I was like, yes. And and, and then Wi-Fi everywhere, like on yes. the buses, on the trains, the train stations clean, um, you know, and I was like, okay, has anybody ever visited, you know, within the, in the States, like there's this issue we've had it here, but mainly in New York, you see it where the subway stations where people fall in, off the tracks or people yeah. get pushed onto the tracks. I mean, just some yeah. crazy things are happening. And so you were yeah. like, you would, you know, the first thing that I was like, why don't we have barriers separating the people from the tracks? Like, why aren't there yeah. barriers there? Like, it doesn't seem like it would be that hard. You could even put in temporary ones until you can build some to save some lives and to let, yeah. you know, to, to keep trains from being, train tracks from being weaponized, you know. Yeah. In Korea, they already thought about that. You don't, you don't have access. You know, there's a, a door that opens up and then you get on the train. You don't have access to that. So, um, I was just really impressed. I had, I got to do a lot of historical things and, um, it was, it was a good trip. I, um, um, a lot of, you know, I'm from a military family. And so a lot of people in my family had, have, um, gone to Korea before. Um, so it was just a really good trip and it was a really good trip to go with family and, um, you know, uh, my friend's family is like my family and to, to meet her extended family and, um, to greet them with gifts and learn a few words, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible, but anyway, <laughs> it's a great trip. Well, I, I hope you had some raw marinated crab. That's my favorite. Yes, yes, yes. Did you try yes. that? I had a lot. <laughs> I'm sure of, you had a lot of poke belly and a lot of Korean barbecue. Yes. We, um, I didn't realize they eat a lot of pork and, um, a lot of beef and a lot of seafood, but we had um, a, like a lot of octopus and um, just just uh, and a lot of uh, bulgogi and you know yes. all, all the things. So it was good. It was a great trip and just learning the history. I love learning history and giving context mm -hmm. and understanding. Like you know, there's you know we had we've had the Korean War to find out. Okay, 
what happened. You know, we know about it, but it gives more context to understand uh, what's happening now. And so, um, so yeah, it was great. It was a beautiful place. We got to uh, go to Busan and, um, and also to Jeju Island. So when was the last time you've been there? Um, you know, do you plan yeah, to go back and take ago. your door? Yeah. Oh, I, I, know you I can. can't wait to take her. But we yeah. were about, it was about five years ago. We can't okay. wait to go back, you know, especially because we, you know, we're, we're, we don't have as many family members that are there anymore. And, okay. Yeah. They're getting older and older. Um, but yeah, there's just something about when you land and you I eat know. the food and, you know, you just interact yeah. with people and, you know, it's, it's, it feels like home. And then you went to some of the, most beautiful places uh, throughout the country. And so that's, I'm so glad to hear that you went. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good. And so um, I know my friend, she's making plans to go back because she has a, her mom has sisters there. They're getting older. She has families. She got to meet a lot of family, but she still has more family to meet. And just connecting with that history and identity. She she went herself, but she wants to take her children back. So, so it's all good. But I, I think that there's some things, you know, um, it it was helpful for me to see that and experience that with her, and um, you know, I, I really feel like context is really important, and I and I think even in our communities when we talk about um, um, the Korean American and African American community, where there's like like historical tension, and so a lot of a lot of that was done. In some, in some ways, like on, on purpose. And, um, you know, as it relates to like, um, shops that are in African American communities, a lot of people, you know, don't understand the history to that. And understanding that history to that helps us, um, move forward today, um, in more solidarity when we understand that we've been kind of like played against each other in a lot of ways. And so how do we, mm-hmm. how do we move, um, beyond that and not perpetuate, um, you know, the, the, the racial division within our, our communities. And so, um, being able to go and experience and having friends, I'm able to share even with my community, um, those experiences. And so I know, um, you've done the same, you know, like I, I saw so many during the George Floyd, um, um, protests that were happening in the summer of 2020. I saw so many like, um, Asian American churches, you know, that were out there in solidarity that it just almost like it, it, it made you cry in, in, in a lot of ways, you know, um, you know, what was happening. I think that's what we're some of the, 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 the um, backlash against that solidarity movement of 2020. I think those are some of the things that we're dealing with now um, as it relates to race relations here, um, you know, and, um, in America right now. So, you know, what, what do you see, um, you know, one of the things that you, you were talking about, you talk a lot about mental health, um, on, on your social media and, and as it relates to your community. And I know like in our community, it, it was a point where it's so taboo and it's just kind of like, you just got to pray. Yeah. Pray, you know, mm-hmm. we label it and we kind of brush it off. And I know that comes from, a, you know, just from some of the, the cultural things that our community has dealt with. What is the, what has that been like in your community? Because I know it's a, a higher shame, um, you know, hierarchy as it relates to um, cultural context. Uh, what, 
how do you how are you guys dealing with mental health within your community? Yeah, I mean, I think getting people to talk about it is challenging, as you mm. uh, just alluded to. I and mean, there's so much stigma, you know, what it means to, you know, like I mean, the U.S. is primarily oriented around this kind of strongman kind of ideology, right? If mm. you're not strong, you're weak, and if you're weak, you're going to get eliminated or exterminated. You're not going to last. You're not going to survive X, Y, and Z. Um, and and so I think there are elements in which the community sees, you know, generally like mental health as weakness, and most of it comes from a lack of awareness and mm-hmm. understanding how you know chemical, you know, chemicals work in the brain, and you know how trauma affects us, and how you know, you know, even like immigration trauma for for many Asian yeah. Americans, you know, there there is a significant trauma that people kind of uh, experience because they were rooted up from the community that they knew and then basically had to start all over where they didn't know the language, they didn't know the customs, they didn't know the culture, they didn't even know how to access social support, which is why the Asian American church was so significant, you know, for many immigrants and why there's such a there's you know, there really is a higher population of uh, of Christian, Asian American Christian or Christians, uh, high, higher population of Asians who are Christian in the U.S. than there are, you know, in pretty much throughout all of Asia. Um, the church really became a space where you know they were doing uh, mercy and justice work. They were mm-hmm. providing a kind of insight into how to navigate society. Um, oftentimes, even kind of giving resources to help with that. Um, but yeah, there's a there's still a significant stigma. I mean, if you add the Christian component to it, because Christians generally are still behind when it comes to uh, engaging with mental health issues, you know, there's an over spiritualization of like mental health challenges and problems, and over spiritualization of the solutions that are required. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you you couple those things together, um, you know, bring shame to the family, bring shame to the community, bring shame to kind of the broader community as well, uh, as well as like the hyper spiritualization, and then you have a recipe for people not to talk about what they need to talk about when they need to talk about it, and get the mm-hmm. help when they need to get help before things get you know out of mm-hmm. hand or out of control or you know uh, before it's too late. And so you know a big part of what we're trying to do is normalize conversations on mental health, and so we encourage mm-hmm. you know pastors to talk about you know going to counseling or therapy from the pulpit, and you know to um, to bring in experts who who talk about mental health issues and and to and to do it in a way that you know doesn't have to contradict uh, your your faith commitments. In fact, if God made the mind, you know, He also uh, you know knows how to. Uh, God also knows how to address you know the things that uh, kind of uh, create hindrances in the mind, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I don't think that we and and I also think that you know we just generally have kind of taboo topics culturally you know that are that are both that emerge from within the population as well as is imposed onto the population and and I think as Asian Americans if we you know, internally from the community we don't want to be seen as like you know the the one who can't really that, that isn't the exemplar in in within our own communities but also mm-hmm. um, we don't want to be seen as uh, as uh, as kind of the the weak link outside from the outside because we know the the greater challenges that exist for us to simply just navigate society in mm-hmm. the same way that you know that occurs for a lot of the minoritized or racialized yeah. minority co- populations and so 
yeah, I, I feel like we're we're trying to talk about it more. You know, share more statistics around mm-hmm. mental health. Um, help families engage with the with the discourse, um, but just create space for conversation around it. Right, right. And one of the things I missed, you're also um, the executive director for the 10, um, 10, 10 collaboration with um, initiative. Uh, that's an initiative um, out of Fuller led by, it was led at one point by Kara Powell. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so Kara is still very much involved. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I stepped in as the uh, executive director for it. It's a it's a collaborative youth discipleship initiative that's that that's uh, seeking to uh, make faith matter more for 10 million young people over mm-hmm. the course of 10 years, which is why we're called 10 by 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, the work that we're doing is uh, working with a variety of organizations and entities uh, as a collaborative to essentially kind of spark conversation around the fact that there's a million young people walking away from the faith each year for a variety of reasons. It's probably closer to 1.4 million as we speak. And that, you know, the church is uh, basically becoming less and less of a relevant presence Mm -hmm. in the lives of young people. They're walking away as soon as it's, as soon as they're able to walk away. Uh, And the church should actually be the, the, the the entity in which uh, people find meaning and relevancy and um, having the conversations that they need to have. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, young people aren't finding that, uh, especially after you know what we've just kind of what we're as we're going through what we're going through since you know probably 2016 or and shortly mm-hmm. before, you know uh, and 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 beyond. And so um, yeah, so we're we're trying to uh, work with a, a broad ecumenical uh, kind of. Uh, population of, of of entities and organizations to to really help equip youth leaders uh, to to do the work of reaching uh, young people more effectively, but also to talk about like why people are walking away from the faith and what could make a difference. And we're trying to herald um, you know this this idea of relational discipleship that's radically focused on Jesus mm-hmm. as the thing that we think will make a difference. And so we think that if more people just spent more time in relationship over merely programming, which is where a lot yeah. of our kind of ministries have gone into, then, then we might see a transformation take place because, you know, Jesus, the first thing Jesus did, you know, he didn't, he didn't start a program. He, he entered yeah. into a relationship. <laughs> right. uh, so, uh, so we're trying to encourage people to do that. And, you know, of course we're, we're working with, uh, with, uh, with a broad coalition of people to, to do so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, we just had, that's so good. I'm glad you're working with that. And just to give some context to our, our, um, our listeners, um, and, and some of the work that you're doing, um, you know, this, this month is AAPI month that we're, um, recording, um, this, I, I, I'm like this, I, I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I told my people, I was like, look, I am black 365 days of the year. <laughs> so we, we don't have specific days that we talk about specific things. I'm like, um, I, I want, I just want to make sure that we are, um, interview bridge builders that are doing incredible work in, in our, in our society and highlight their work. Um, and so th- this just so happens to fall in that. I don't even know when they're going to air it. I don't know if it's going to air then, but uh, what would you want um, our Be The Bridge community 
um, to know and to understand. Um, there was something that I, that you did last year. I was following you when you were, um, I think it was a, um, a reconcile. I don't know if, it, if you were leading it or if it was, um, Monrovia was leading it, um, church out in California, but you were going to different Asian American yeah. sites yeah. and telling the history and, 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 and I was like, I, I need, first of all, I need to be on that trip when you do it. Oh, let's um, do it. Next time. Let's go be the bridge I, group Yes. But, hey, I'm serious. Like, I, I really want to do it. I was even talking um, to one of um, Inez. She was, I think she was there or either she went, um, she's out in uh, Pasadena. She goes to, um, she's, I know she went to Fuller. She's a pastor out there in California. Um, but I think either she was following it or either she was planning to go. But anyway, I want to go. Um, I want to, I suppose, be the bridge to that because I was like, I've never visited some of those those places, you know? And um, tell me a little bit about that. Tell the community. Oh, man, it was life-changing. That. So we wow. started in L.A., um, okay. And we went from LA to uh, to San Francisco. It was called the Reclaim Trip, okay. and you know we we basically went to you know it was it was in some ways you could call it a Christian history tour or a Christian Asian American Christian civil rights tour. Oh, right? I wow. mean, like a lot of people go to the South for African American yeah, kind of history, yeah. you know, and of course it's not just limited to the South, but you know, primary place people go to are, you know is the South, and you know other people go on the Trail of Tears. Um, you know, to to understand more uh, more in depth the the, the indigenous experience, um, and of course, you know, you, we, one of the things that we we realized was that uh, there's a large portion of the population that doesn't know, you know, uh, not just what Asian Americans went through or endured or experienced, but uh, how Asian American Christians were present in mm. some of these kind of. Uh, solidarity, social justice, uh, kind of Christian righteousness and justice efforts, mm. and so we started by visiting, you know, the the oldest kind of the most historic kind of uh, Japanese church and the Korean church in 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 the in the LA area, going to the museum, um, you know, walking with uh, kind of living legends that. Um, you know uh, that that kind of made a difference within the communities uh, mm-hmm. as Christians out of their Christian convictions, even though they were born in the Japanese uh, kind of incarceration camps, and and you know going to historic Filipino town and you know Koreatown and learning about the LA riot, uh, the 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 LA riots uh, and the and the the the, the tensions within the, between the Black and Asian communities, talking about how you know Koreatown, Chinatown, Little Tokyo were formed and. You know mm-hmm. what those things kind of mean for the community today, and the role of the church within you know both uh, activism and advocacy work here in you know, in the U.S., but you know uh, for kind of liberation abroad. And so um, that that then we then we go from California. You know we visit a couple of museums as well. To and and then we go to the, a lynching site, right? So one of the things in LA is the you know, the the site of the largest single lynching in the U.S., which occurred against Chinese Americans. Uh, and so most people think that you know that Asian Americans were exempt from any sort of like racial violence, but that's not the case. And you know, basically, ten percent of the city of Los Angeles at the time descended on ten percent of the uh, Chinese population and wiped them out. Uh, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like seventeen to twenty people were killed uh, during that time, 
Then we go to Manzanar, you know, where you know the the Japanese incarceration uh, took place, and there were multiple sites, you know, um, almost a dozen sites uh, across the country, where you know basically Japanese people were told, you know, you can take one carry and uh, what you know one thing that you can carry, and then you're leaving your house, yeah. which meant that they lost everything when they got back. Mm. You know, the number of people mm. that lost everything, which is why there's such a sizable Japanese American population, or there was a sizable Japanese American population in in the Midwest and in Chicago and in other places mm-hmm. because when they went back after they were released from these concentration camps, everything that they knew was gone. Yeah, right. And they had lost you know, everything. You hear like a, everything, and then you hear a few stories of like, oh no, but then they, you know, their neighbors preserved it or the people that worked at the, yeah. you know, at the farms preserved. But like the, you know, there's Outliers, so many yeah. that lost. Yeah, so many things. Yeah. And so we went there. You know, when we went to Manzanar, what was crazy was as soon as we walked in, <laughs> this white family was walking out and they said, This is propaganda. None of this happened. Wow. And I remember just like, I mean, it, like that was like one of the most viral tweets I ever tweeted. Mm-hmm. But I remember like everyone picked up on it. And then even as I was sharing that, because like one of the one of the students that were with us, and we had a group of uh, probably like twenty five to thirty people that ranged ranged from the age of six to probably like fifty six, and it was it, so it was extremely rich uh, because you had kids experiencing the same oh. thing as adults, and none of them had ever seen anything close to this. Wow! But like even when you go to the site where people oh. were incarcerated, there were people that visited. And said they don't believe that this actually happened. They believe they couldn't believe that the U.S. would ever do anything like this. Wow. They refused I mean, just, to believe it. Like, they refused. To yeah, believe. yeah. And, and and you know, but Ray, it's because we don't teach history. Like you know, mm-hmm. when you go when you go to Germany and you visit sites, there you know the memorialization is not with the the Nazis, the people that caused the harm or the oppression. It's with those who endured the harm, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and and they tell their stories so that it's not repeated. We did a reconciliation tour in, um, um, in, in Rwanda and we met with government officials. We went to a reconciliation village of people who are living together in community that were once um, torn apart by the atrocities of the genocide. And a part of their system to make sure that this is never repeated again. There's things that had to be that had to be that has to be done in their community. One is get rid of the, the those that are calling the, the the tension. So they changed their you know their language from from their main language from French to um, to English. You know, and they had to throw out some of the troublemakers in their country, you know, that were, that were causing the, the divide. But one of the things that they do is they tell the story and they have to tell the story. You have to say, this is the genocide of the Tutsi. And because they don't want to just say genocide because then that can say, people will say, well, you know, there was a lot of Hutus that died too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like the narrative mm-hmm. changes. And that's what has happened here in America. The narratives have um, have changed. Stories have been what people um, call whitewash, where you, you would not believe how many people, where well, we've stated history with facts. Um, and people have said that didn't happen because my teacher told me. Um, I, I was I posted something about Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
And mm-hmm. um, this lady came into my comments and said, you know, this is not factual. This is a lie. Da, 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 da. I said, and I posted a video and I said, well, tell this to the police officer <laughs> of, of Tulsa who just talked about it and they actually acknowledged this history that it actually happened. And I think we really, um, that fear of thinking that um, not talking about it is going to make it better or make it go away, not talking about it makes it worse because you have ignorant people that will repeat the same mistakes, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is like, some people are like, those mistakes were not mistakes. They were good. And they're like, that was a part of the plan. And I'm like, that's why they're trying to erase Martin Luther King Jr. and Ruby Bridges from the curriculum because they're calling it whatever they're trying to call it when it's not the thing that they're actually calling it. And so, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm like, we do need to, we need to tell, you know, we need to remember better. I mean, it's like a biblical concept, like all throughout the scripture, God calls us to remember, remember, remember. And so, I mean, we just had Resurrection Sunday. That was a, what is that about? Remembrance. Uh, That's we exactly just had, right. Every, we just all had community. history. We just had history. We just went through Lent. Uh, we just, you know what I'm saying? Like Christmas, like, and, uh, you know, you have all the, the Passover. All of those things are about remembrance. We know how, mm-hmm. how important it is to remember. Every year people celebrate their birthdays or they celebrate their anniversaries. <laughs> what is that about? Remembrance. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, Say it so, again. It's about remembrance. So you have to get underneath that. Why is it that some things you don't want to remember and other things you do? And you're trying to say that all remembrance is 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 bad. So we got to really ask the hard questions and name a thing a thing. Like people you know, don't want to remember because it makes them feel some kind of way. But whose feelings does that center? When we do mm-hmm. that, it's not mm-hmm. it's not centering the feelings of those who were afflicted and harmed by that system. If you don't like hearing about it, imagine what we felt like having to live it or having to live yeah. it. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, one hundred percent to that. And I, like that's, I think that's essentially the that was the heartbeat of the trip, the reclaim trip it. through AACC, where. You know, like we went from Manzanar to San Francisco and we went to, you know, historic Chinese church. We went to the oldest Japanese church. And what what most people don't know is that, you know, that Japanese church, when everyone was incarcerated and sent to the incarcerate in the concentration camps, Uh uh, Howard Thurman's church met there. Wow. And so, you know, it's, you know, there's so much richness and legacy and history. And then you're now in this. You know, like in a congregate, you know, you're in, you know, you're within a congregation that that is wrestling with how gentrification and the community changing around them is kind of forcing them to recalibrate how they do ministry and you know how they kind of preserve you know the things that are beautiful uh, about their legacy, but also kind of adapt to the the reality. And I'm like, if these churches go away. I'm like, what a mm. loss! What a loss of a you know, mm. like a living memorial. And so, right. my my hope is that you know, as as and like it would like if we if you're ever like, hey, we want to do this, and no, like, no, we're, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. Oh man, that, it's yeah, a, it's, it's we should totally thing, find man. a way to do it, and we'll just call, we'll go, you know, and we'll take people <laughs> with us, and you know, we'll figure out how to make it all work. Um, yeah, but that would be yeah, it's total, it's life changing. I mean, almost all the there's one. 
there's one uh, one young person went, I think, 14 years old, mm. realized that Asian Americans weren't all docile, <laughs> went wow. back to the school, and when they experienced kind of uh, racial discrimination, felt boldness because they saw other Christians who had done the same in the past wow. and said, I'm actually proud. Like before it wasn't, you know, there wasn't pride to be, you know, Asian American uh-huh. or Korean American. But like after the trip, it was like this pride of being Asian American. Yeah, yeah. Not because it's like better than anyone else, but because like there's a dignity to the to the yeah. history and to the resilience yes. and to the experience that yeah. we're, we're never taught, you know? And so, yeah. yeah. We got to do that. I think, and I think, yes, we need to figure out all the details. You guys heard it here first that <laughs> my team was trying to be like screaming, yes, we're going to do it. Uh, but, you know, we went to Rwanda. We took a group, we took about 20 people with us to do this um, reconciliation trip with in partnership with Africa New Life there. And, you know, wow. which is like a Rwandan-led um, organization. And, I mean, this was like really understanding like the cost of what reconciliation could look like. It was a very hopeful trip to see what um, um, a tr- the, the the hope that atrocities had 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 birthed, you know, in in this country. And um, so I think, you know, this context of learning, I love to learn um um, history, um, even when it's not connected to me directly, is I think is really important. But I think we can do some some crossover um, uh, uh, and exchange some stories um, within our um, communities that could be life changing. And so we're going to do that. We're gonna, I don't know when, but we're going to do it. But soon. <laughs> You know, because I was, because I had already said, if there's another one happening this year, I'm going. Yeah, because there's this desire to know the same thing. It's like you, you want to know the indigenous story because that context helps you lead better. Um, it helps you understand um, your community because we're all connected. You know what I'm saying? If if one part of the body um, suffers, all the parts suffer with it. When one part of the body rejoices, all the parts rejoice with it. And so I think as we understand um, our history, uh, we don't feel isolated or in a silo and we don't play this oppression Olympics type thing, you know, but giving us... Um, really context for what's going on. And I think that's some of the things I was, someone has sent me um, this link and, you know, we have um, these things coming up as it relates to um, um, affirmative action. And so some of that you see, you see the plan of people against each other and some of the things that's happening. That was like all these Asian American um, organizations that are in support of, um, you know, ending affirmative action. But I, I was also thinking like, if they understood what the history of why these things were put in place, if they understood true American history and what people had to endure and how long people were like, you know, um, prevented from going to some of these higher institutions. You know, my father was born into a country where he could, he went to segregated schools. My aunt was just telling me um, how she was a part of that first class that integrated um, at this high school when she was in the 10th grade and how she went from making A's and B's to making all F's because the teachers didn't care about them and they didn't, they didn't want to be there because they wanted to go to the black school. And, um, but this, uh, just the, 
how we how we went about desegregation, um, how it harmed um, our community. But if we understood that, if we had that context, I, I guarantee you there wouldn't be all of those organizations that would be a part of that. But we don't. It's stuff that you, it's like the, the plan is to keep people ignorant, so that sometimes you can use you can weaponize the ignorance, you know. And so, um, so we have to have more conversations like this and really have those tough conversations, um, uh, within our communities, um, so that we can have more solidarity. So I'm, I'm glad that, um, we were able to have you all here today. Now, there's a lot happening. What are some of the things, you know, I asked this question. There's so much, um, to overcome now. And I, you, you had, um, had this post on Holy Saturday and you were talking about like this, this, this resurrection is between despair and darkness and, um, and the anticipation of what's to come. And so I I noticed this in a lot of our society, looking at things that are happening. We don't like to sit and lament. Like we, we don't want to, um, we don't want to acknowledge the pain and the despair and the discouragement the, the we, you know we don't want to embrace that knowing that um you know sunday does come resurrection is coming but we don't we want to move on to the joy so quick before we really let the um the um the work of lament take place in, in, in our hearts and um you know and so people are feeling overcome they're feeling overwhelmed and sometimes we can desensitize ourselves to it and we want to move on and not really deal with the grief or the sorrow that we're in um what are some things that you're lamenting right now i mean a lot i think you know the number one thing i'm hearing from you know pastors and parishioners and congregants all throughout the country is the the just the devastation of the loss that we all went through over the last few years. I mean, especially if you're coming from kind of under-resourced minority communities, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, it's, it's different. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, the, the sheer exhaustion and I mean, we, we made probably one of the most significant transitions uh, from basically being in person all the time to the majority mm-hmm. of our existence going online yeah. And I don't know if most people have been able to, we've just had to adapt, but there hasn't been like a, like a transitional process that, you know, that people have been able to kind of reflect on and, and navigate and, and, and even process through. And so, you know, there's elements of that. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting right now is kind of the, the, the what's, what's heartbreaking right now is actually the affirmative action thing is going to, is, it can, potentially become explosive for the black and Asian communities if we're not careful. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if you look at the, the trail um, that, uh, that we're seeing, it's, it's mostly this, this one kind of basically white conservative guy named Edward Bloom, who's mobilizing Asian Americans to essentially say, and, and using Asian Americans to, to fight this affirmative action case, when the majority of Asian Americans uh, broadly support affirmative action. Uh, yeah. And so I'm, I'm always trying to watch for you know, things mm. that can be potentially explosive between communities mm-hmm. and the ways that uh, white supremacy uh, tries to kind of pit us against each other. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, just uh, you know, things like 
people leaving the church and you know walking away from the faith and deconstructing without reconstructing and mm-hmm. um, and all the church abuse that we're seeing and and the yeah. stories of just uh, kind of uh, kind of failed leadership. Um, yeah, so there's a lot to lament uh, for sure, mm-hmm. and I think sitting in it and understanding the weight of it actually mm. is more helpful. Yes. Um, mostly because it helps you realize that you can do something about it through the power of Christ, through mm. the empowerment of the Spirit. And so, yeah. like, the more you understand the problem, the more you're able to actually concoct a solution or at least be a faithful presence uh, to try to be one. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think the divisions are still real. The conspiracy theories are pervasive. You know, the propaganda is just mm-hmm. all over the place. Uh, and the political kind of the the political divides are are destroying families. And I'm like, all these things need to be tackled. And of course, you have the gun violence. Like this yeah. is the, the insanity of the gun violence. Like mm-hmm. something can be done. It's just we have to decide whether we're going to choose guns over kids or kids yeah. over guns. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it, it is that simple, you know, because um, in um, both of the things that just happened. Um, you know, if those red flag laws, um, you know, would have been expanded, there could have been something, you know, that could have prevented it. And in each of those cases, those poor, poor parents did not even know that their children had the type of, of weapons that they had, you know, had no idea that their children were capable of, uh, of something like this. And so, um, you know, but we, it's like, it's, you know, I think it's just healthy to sit in it, you know, and, 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 and just like see where God leads, because I think there's like this collective, um, justice that lament could lead us to, you know, together. If we're, if we're not just trying to bypass it and move on and, and, and get over it and get, you know, stop the crying and, you know, but we don't like to sit. And that's a, definitely a Western culture thing. But I, you know, I really want to make that commitment, you know, like as we're talking about um, the um, the college stuff, like to make that commitment together um, to get out ahead of it before, you know, it's happened. There's something that we can do. There's things that we can say. And I think there's, a, you know, there's some things that we can do to get out ahead of it, to not let um, division win um, in 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 that in that case, you know, um, it mm-hmm. could like some of the times the things that are meant for evil, <laughs> you know, um, could also be um, be uh, turned into good. Um, and 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 I, I don't feel like God wastes a pain or a hurt. So, um, but we're gonna be, we're gonna we're gonna be in contact about that because I'm serious about this. I don't think you know I'm serious about this trip. And I'm also serious about this, okay? You know, let's um, do it. Yeah. And so, what what's something that's bringing you hope, right? Last question: What's something that's bringing you hope? <laughs> I mean, it's conversations like these. It's it's knowing that you know there is a community, an embodied community, you know, both here locally in Chicago that's committed to the same thing that that's truly diverse. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. that that want to want to see a difference as well as all throughout the country. You know, I think one of the things that um, we need to do is find ways to get into the same rooms together. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, and because like we're so busy trying to basically uh, survive and 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 stay afloat that you know, oftentimes we don't know how to get into the same rooms together. But I think mm. there's something so generative about getting into the rooms together. That's, That's so one good. piece. I think the other piece, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I 
the more I press into the scriptures, the more I'm like, oh my gosh, everything that we need is right there, you know? Mm, and it's everything. Like, <laughs> everything. And I'm like, why is it that people choose not to see it and um, and don't want to see it or don't know how to see it? And they twist the, twist the words of God, mm-hmm. uh, the word of God to, to mean whatever they want it to mean. And so mm-hmm. um, I, I see a lot of hope in knowing that, you know, God went before us to offer us something as significant as the Bible itself, uh, established a church as imperfect as it is, and calls us to consistent repentance and faith and can, keeps his arms open so that we might you know, be embraced. And I'm like, there's nothing better than that. But, you know, I, I, so I think that, that gives me hope. But then it's also like knowing that I'm not alone. Like I know you're doing the you're you're doing the work. There's so many others mm-hmm. uh, that you know mentioned several earlier uh, that are all doing the work. And and I'm like I'm I'm just grateful. Like so it gives me hope that there's people doing it, even if we're um, not the majority of people doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, there's I mean there's I feel hopeful. Like having conversations like this. Um, knowing that organizations like yours and mine and this and so many others, we're just doing our part. There's so many great organizations out there that are doing amazing things with great leaders. Um, and we always tell people, like, if you're breathing, you can do something. I don't want people yes. to get overwhelmed and overcome, you know, with hopelessness thinking like nothing matters. It all matters because you and I both in the midst of the chaos and the despair and not knowing what to do, we took a step to do something, you know? And so if you have breath in your body, if you're breathing, take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out, and get to moving, you know? You know, it maybe it's using your voice, maybe it's arts, creating something, like, but there is something that each of us can do. And, um, um, so I, and I, and I can't wait to see it. So, um, uh, I'm excited, Ray, about what's happening. Uh, what, what are, what's up, uh, what things do you have going on for, um, your community, um, the Asian American Christian, um, collaborative? What, what are some things that are going on next for you? Yeah. I, I think what's been interesting is, uh, that we, you know, like the ways in which we've been engaging with kind of, uh, civic and religious entities. And so, you know, the conversations we're having with entities like, you know, the White House and other kind of federal agencies, uh, mm-hmm. that's been really interesting, especially as an Asian American Christian organization. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're, you know, I think we're, uh, we have a really you know, we we have a really cool parenting series right now taking place in California, and so it's three points, uh, three kind of events. One is on mental health, one is on technology, and the other one is on violence, uh, more specifically tied to gun violence and what parents can mm-hmm. do about it. Um, you know, we also have you know had uh, kind of uh, other events taking place throughout the country, and we're trying to figure out. You know, I think the the big stuff we're trying to figure out is how do we. Um, uh, really make sure that as we do this stuff nationally, we're also grounded uh, at the local levels. And so we're talking to some of our local partners uh, on you know what would be helpful uh, as we continue to move forward and uh, transition from being kind of uh, responding to all of the things that were happening to the Asian American communities um, to to uh, to becoming a little bit more proactive, and so yeah. a lot of stuff there. You know, we're trying to put on more programming and you know help with churches, especially Asian American stuff, uh, Asian American identity development, Asian American Christian identity development, uh, solidarity work. You know, yeah, uh, and the like. 
Yep, all the things, all the things. Well, you can add uh, Be the Bridge um, um, Reclaiming Trip to to your <laughs> to your list. Okay, <laughs> I will do it. I'm serious about that. It's been great having you on the podcast. Um, thank you so much uh, for listening. Those you can follow Ray on all the socials. Um, you get to see a picture of his beautiful little uh, baby girl, and um, it will have all those things in the show notes. And if you're interested um, in going on this trip that we're talking about, you see those who are listening to the podcast would get first dibs. So if you're interested, when we post this on our social media, go on there and comment and put, you know, put your information, put your email address and say, Hey, I'm in, you know, you say I'm in and then you can almost, you know, we always have, um, info at be the You can find out more information there, but we're going to make this happen. See, I already put it out there, Ray. It's out there. It's out <laughs> it's gotta there. Happen now. So yeah, it's gotta happen now because they're going to come up there. They're going to say, I'm in, I am interested in doing this. So yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, yeah, we'll, I'll make sure to go on that trip if it ha- you know, when, we, when we do that one. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Knatzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.